the Facing Hunger Food Bank, we believe that food is something nobody should ever have to worry about. That's why our mission is to feed anyone that is in need. In order to take care of everyone in the 17 counties that we cover, it takes a lot of people working together every day. Through their hard work, we have been able to make a major impact on our communities. This podcast is our way of sharing the stories of every person and every program that is involved in making the difference in the lives of those in need. Because at the Facing Hunger Food Bank, we know that every plate has a story. Hey, it's Cindy Kirkhart, CEO at Facing Hunger Food Bank, and for today on this episode of Every Plate Has a Story, I'm just really blessed to have um, another warrior in the field um, here in the trenches. With me today is Chad Lovejoy. Um, Chad is um, a dear friend to all in need in the great state of West Virginia in a lot of different capacities, but today we're going to talk about Chad's work to actually fill the plates that um, we serve and some of his efforts. So we really want to get into the discussion and welcome Chad. Thanks for coming out. Thank you so much, Cindy. And thanks for all you've done uh, for everybody and, and for me in this journey. So it's a pleasure to be here. Well, thanks. But as you know, together we are facing hunger. So we're going to just get right into that. Tell me, what drew you to hunger as an issue? Because you were right away. I'm talking about. I think that uh, for me, getting into politics, you, you may start to think that you can go up there and change everything, but you can't. And so I tried to pick some areas that I thought uh, we could make some progress in. And there was nothing more important to me than than hunger, and particularly with children. Um, I think we all can agree across all parties and demographics that we have uh, an obligation and a need to help take care of people. And so uh, I, I kind of early on was drawn to what is the current state of our food insecurity policy in West Virginia and where, where is there room to, to try to make it better? Chad, that's a great point about policy. Did you feel like when you got to the legislature that there was policy in relation to hunger in West Virginia? Not really. I mean, part of the issue was we had the, the Feed to Achieve Act, but that had been I think that was in 2013, if I'm not mistaken. And that was kind of the last bigger scale food insecurity uh, legislation in West Virginia. And it, and it did great things, but we hadn't really, you know, done as much in those following four years. So um, uh, I was able also to work with some, some people in the trenches, uh, Jenny Anderson there uh, with Families Leading Change to look at some specifics, um, specific policies. And so early on tried to start, seeing what we could, uh, where would they fit in the code? Uh, what was the cost? What were, um, you know, the, the chances, likelihood of getting it passed and then tried to prioritize those and go forward. Well, I think we were reflecting earlier where you and I met. And, um, I think one of the first places was, um, my husband and I picking up food from the V club at the hooligans homecoming several years ago, maybe 2015. Yeah. It, it all began at a metal show. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so my law partner, Tom Boggs and, and Nick Tarpley, uh, one of his dear friends 
were into the music scene in Huntington in the uh, in the eighties and decided they wanted to try to get those artists back together and they wanted to to not only have the music that they that they grew up on, but also do some good. So they they chose Facing Hunger. And, um, and so I, I believe you're right. It was, uh, it was after one of those shows and, and that's another great example of how the community here, especially in Huntington comes together, um, to have fun, but also to, to do good for people. Well, I will tell you, your law firm is, um, hunger centered and focused for sure. Um, Dave Duffield for yep. sure with the work with the mission, um, which is a partner of the food bank. Obviously, Tom Boggs with Hooligans Homecoming, and look at you. Um, I want to go back to 2017, which is, I think, our first hunger-free West Virginia Day at the legislature. And um, we really kind of kicked that caucus off about that, that time. Can you talk about that process? Because I felt like that that day and that caucus meeting was a real turning point for hunger in West Virginia. Yeah. So when you get to to the legislature, you notice that there are formal and informal groups that we refer to as caucuses. And many times they're topic related. So you might have a coal caucus, might have a healthcare caucus, might have all kinds of different caucuses, but there were none that were focusing on food uh, security and food policy. And so I remember uh, Seth DeStefano uh, talking about and he sent me some material of another state that had one. And so we said, well, let's try this. And so we just decided on Hunger-Free West Virginia Day to stand up and invite people to come. And we had a good turnout, you know. Yeah. And uh, and that was really cool because it showed me that people from across the state had interest. And uh, so we began a dialogue that, that, that grew from there. So 2017, the first Hunger Caucus meeting, I was amazed at the the turnout were you i was I, I was really pleasantly surprised uh not ju- not even just the turnout but the diversity of people you had delegates from rural areas that kind of had a very agricultural focused interest you had delegates uh in food deserts you had delegates in in cities you you know and it was it was a it was an interesting group and and that gave me some encouragement that this was indeed a universal topic because so many different people from different backgrounds were interested yeah you know being a party to come and provide that information to the legislature it struck me that they really didn't have an idea (laughs) about what hunger was like in west virginia and i felt like you did that Folks were really receptive to that information, but it was almost like with a healthy dose of disbelief that a full third of the populace at that time was being served by the two food banks and the the pantries. Um, Speaker Hanshaw, who was not speaker at the time, but um, from Clay County, you know, he showed up and... um, then tell me about the next year, because, man, that thing took off. Yeah, you know, and I'll say that you're exactly right going back on that education. And that's really the first step is, is I didn't, you know, and I've, and I've worked with the city mission on their board for, you know, 15 years. And so I know the acute need, but but the big picture 
of how widespread this this issue is across our state. I think a lot of the delegates are got to be kidding me. I mean, it's 2022 or at that point, wherever it was, and we live in America. And you're telling me that that many people where I live are, don't have a consistent access to, to nutritious food? Yeah. And so it's kind of like you don't want to believe it because then it kind of puts on you, what are you doing about it then? You know, mm-hmm. so you almost want to pretend it's not there. And I think, you know, not purposefully, but people kind of pushed it to the back. And when you would come up and bring data, and, and sometimes it was district-specific data. Well, mm-hmm. let me tell you, you, you represent represent this county, let me show you the snapshot of hunger in your county, then it really becomes real. And so I think that was a a wonderful way to get people interested and to spur them to action because there was a moral obligation. Then as as we went forward, you know, we were able um, to kind of say, well, here are two, three, four, five bills that this caucus wants to to lead with. And so the share table bill was really the first one that, that we saw that big um, kind of inertia from the group moving forward, I think. Absolutely. Um, I remember being in the governor's reception room and him signing that bill. Um, I felt like it was like a tectonic plate shift at that point. Um, I think that you guys really led the way for the rest of the work that we enjoyed in the following years, that everyone wants to feed kids. But then with that continuing education, you really felt that, hey, what about our seniors? Hey, you know, we've had these really horrible events and food access was a real challenge. Um, And then the pandemic and uh, talk about that from from the legislative perspective. Food waste was was a, a, a sub issue within the big picture that was really interesting to me because this isn't a question of of getting the food to people. I mean, we're literally throwing, we're wasting. You know, some say thirty percent of it. So how can you have people that are going without food when you're throwing away 30% of the food? And so there's got to be a way to work that together. So that was kind of the purpose of the share table was in the educational setting to do that and to find a way to route food that was perfectly good food but was going to be thrown away to the children. But we also put in there that it the food could be also donated to pantries, food mm-hmm. banks, all that. I'm not sure. It's, it seems to go more to the backpacks and the schools. Mm-hmm. Then the next year we took that to the senior centers because somebody said it's a great idea. You know, senior centers also serve meals and some of the food is not eaten. And rather than having it thrown away, let's figure out a way to route it to people who need food. And and I think the biggest thing is to succeed in this type of policy, you have to find ideas that are big enough to make a difference in food insecurity, but cost, uh, have, have, have a small enough fiscal note that you can get them passed. You know, you could say, let's go in and make sure everyone has three meals a day and you would really do a lot to stop hunger, <laughs> but you could never get that passed, right. uh, particularly with, you know, a fiscally conservative majority or supermajority. So, so that was one of the hard things is how do you find something that actually helps reduce hunger, but can also get passed. And that's, that's the model we used with share table school, share table seniors, and then the emergency school food act. Um, and it's, it's a, it's a, it's a hard measure. Well, I, you touched on this and, and we've talked about it and we're not necessarily talking about politics, but I think it is important to recognize and honor your work along with a lot of other people you all managed to cross the aisle 
consistently to make these things happen. And I think that the way that you approached that work really engaged people to be able to look at what we were providing, which was factual data, and to not vilify any one, you know, party or, um, and made things happen. What do you think was the key to your success there? Because it was clearly successful. Well, I think I think you you hit it. You don't come at it from a uh, you don't come at it as a partisan issue. You know, this is something we all want to do. You reach out, you include and involve everyone who has an interest, um, and I think that made a difference. I think if you'd have made it, this is the you know the Democratic hunger caucus. You're dead. I mean, you know, the reality is here in West Virginia, we're in a super minority, right? There's 78 Republicans, 22 Democrats. So if, if you want to get policy passed on your own, you're not going to have a lot of luck with only 22. So if you, you, you have to involve people. And so getting people involved from the other side, um, presenting them with education that you would give us, arm them with facts, show them how this could make a difference to the people they represent, and then here, here's a solution or here's, a, here's an idea that can help. I mean, that's part of it, too. It's one thing just to get people educated. It's another thing to say, now let's, we have an idea to do something about it. So I think that was the key. And, and I remember, you know, the Emergency School Food Act. You know, I mean, I had that thing in four years. I never could get it. I mean, I got it out of the house one time, but it just, you know, it just wasn't working. So I said, all right, let's do this. Take my name off, put a Republican on there, and we got it passed. <laughs> and the idea was, that's fine. I mean, get the thing passed is the most important thing, and that's what we did. And and interestingly, you know, we, we put Evan Worrell on there, and, and he had had started a, a Republican labor caucus, and that caused some some issues. And so we joked, it might have been better to leave a Democrat on there, you know. <laughs> uh, but in the end, we put all that aside and said, here's a way, you know, we can help uh, reduce food insecurity in West Virginia and, and finally got it done. But uh, but it's interesting. It's, it's a political with a small p um, landscape you have to navigate um, because you've got to get it in. You've got to get in heard on a committee. You've got to get through a committee. You've got to get it through finance committee, through the House. Then you got to do the same thing in the Senate and then something the governor will sign. So it's there's a lot of uh, it's like shoots and ladders. There's lots of, of, of shoots you can fall down as you as you walk your way through the process. Let's talk about the governor. Um, so our food bank um, and Mountaineer, obviously, we developed Hunger Free West Virginia as an, uh, an entity to really market the whole state in terms of need. Governor Justice um, is notably the first governor in the state of West Virginia to provide funds directly to the food banks. Now, Bray Carey, you remember Bray, when Bray was with the governor's office, we met with him and provided him a lot of information. Chad, I will tell you, you could have pushed me over when then on January 7th, I believe, of, we met with Bray in November. Um, governor Justice offered his stay of the state address and brought food, you know, and hunger as a mainstay of, of his efforts that year. How much do you think that helped the little P move forward to, to get full engagement from, again, um, a pretty serious supermajority legislature? I think it helped a lot. You're exactly right. I mean, the governor, first governor to have the food banks as a line item in yes. the budget. 
And then, you know, of course, when the CARES Act money came and, and you know, there was there were not only there's a lot of money, but there are also timelines where things had to be done uh, or else you, you forfeit the money back to the federal government. And so, you know, we worked, you'll recall, through the summer to try to get, you know, we didn't want to, to so to speak, choose the things, but say here we've consulted with the, you know, the, the experts in the field. Here are the kinds of things that that could be done if you would, you know, consider using appropriating some of that money. And so we sent that in and there in, the, in December, I mean, he committed uh, seven point two five million dollars, which, you know, frankly, I mean, we were like hoping you know, three was a dream, be really happy with a million. And, <laughs> and so he came through and, and I love the way he did it that, you know, he, he, he went to each, the two food banks, he went to the shared cold storage facility there at Rock Branch, which helps everyone. Mm-hmm. And then I thought what was really cool is, is went to the pantry level. And we had these conversations with his office that, you know, these are wonderful things, but there might be a pantry in Welch that, you know, $600 to buy a new shelf would make all the difference in the world or, or replacing that refrigerator, uh, in, in, in this particular pantry. And so I remember him saying, or his, we were working with the staff, uh, uh, and they said, well, you know, we need a list of the pantries. And so we came to you and, and to, uh, Mountaineer and got the list. And again, was kind of thinking, man, if he would give everybody a thousand dollars that everybody could then go and, you know, buy some piece, you don't have to buy infrastructure, but if you needed something and then he, he did five, which was just amazing. And so I, I just can't say enough about the commitment that he's given to, uh, to combating food insecurity through, through not just policy, but appropriation. His policy is great, but I can tell you one of the biggest issues is, is money. You know, yeah. you have to have infrastructure and you have to have transportation and you have to have an inventory to, to get to people. And that is as much a funding issue as it is a policy issue. And so he's really stepped up there in that role and, and very much appreciated. Absolutely. Um, for our agencies, that $5,000 provided so many freezers and coolers mm-hmm. and you know, the whole um, mission that I understood from the governor, obviously, was expand capacity so they can do more. Yep. And um, those things that they bought go far beyond food. It's really about for years to come, this support and this legacy will be, you know, forthcoming. Um, then we had the session. And with that, that work group effort... Um, Speaker Hanshaw Beam from Clay County, certainly understanding hunger. I'm going to go back for you. You referenced you have been on the city mission, Huntington City Missions Board, for some time. So hunger was on your radar before you and I ever met. How did, how did you land there? Well, um, you know, I, I grew up you know, in, in a home with, with food. Um, so it wasn't that I came from there. My dad's a teacher, mom did, uh, you know, clerical work and, and we always had food on the table, but, but I, I remember people that didn't, uh, friends. And, and, and I just remember thinking how odd that seemed to me, uh, in, in this country at this time that we, we have this. Then as I got to, uh, got out of law school and started practicing here in Huntington, I, I got to work with some folks there at the mission and, you know, they're always looking for good board members who, you know, pitch in. And so got drawn into that. And, and I noticed, cause we get statistics of the, the amount of meals served. 
uh, in the community feeding program, as well as the nights uh, you know, of lodging that are given. And it just seemed like every year, if not month, they just kept going up and up and up and up. And I mean, they've doubled in the last few years. And I just remember thinking, wow, this is, this is really amazing in Huntington. And then the other part, I think, was uh, having kids in public school system and being involved in some of those uh, feeding programs and the backpack programs. And mm-hmm. there were a couple uh, times when I just, I could not believe in Huntington, West Virginia, that the realities, you know, it's like you don't want to believe it, but it is real. And wherever you live here within, you know, a very short distance is someone who will go to bed tonight, not full uh, and not knowing where the next, you know, meal will be tomorrow. And it just really struck me that that's an amazing reality in this country in this day. And uh, and so much of it's policy driven. I mean, you know, it, it really is. And that's where I think you can make a difference. So it pushed me there, I guess. Well, and you landed on both feet, and for that I'm forever grateful. Um, Certainly, I think so many people who will never meet you in person owe you a debt of gratitude um, for all that you've done. I could choke up thinking about that and did, so sorry about that. But um, so the, the landscape's changed a little bit for you. Yeah, so this is my last term. And uh, so I'll finish out the year. And what I've tried to work on at this point is making sure this 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 has always been bigger than one person. Um, mm-hmm. It's a group effort. It's a team effort. And so making sure that it continues. And part of that will you know, have to wait until after the fall to see who's there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're going to lose a lot of members of that work group. Um, and so, you know, but this 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 thing is much bigger than a person. And uh, so, you know, we want it to continue. And uh, I remember early on talking with some of the, I call the old timers who were leaving. And, uh, you know, the truth is some, you know, maybe a year, but certainly 10, 50, 100 years from now, no one knows who you are. They don't remember where you were from, what you did or anything. So, you know, it's not some kind of personal legacy. But if you can have done something while you're there that that has an impact, then, you know, you've you've done your job. Um, So that's kind of the hope that this will continue. Hunger will continue to have a seat at the table when policy is being discussed, when money is being discussed and uh, all the people that don't have lobbyists and, and, you know, big, big dinners for for legislators uh, also get to be heard when policy is being decided. So if you were to serve as an advisor to that work continuation, how would you encourage the folks that are formally in the trenches there with the hunger work group and within the legislature? What would you recommend? I would I would focus on a couple key areas. One of them is barriers. You know, there was a period there where we kept <laughs> erecting more barriers to to food access, and whether that was you know work requirements, drug testing. I mean, we were just putting up things between hungry people and food, and I I, I think that had a much worse impact than people may have realized. We had a pilot program here in Cabell County, and when when those work requirements went in, you know, people don't stop eating. They just went all to the community feeding programs, right? Mm-hmm. So you mm-hmm. saw the demand uh, increase. So 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 watching barriers would be one. Um, funding, watching the appropriations, and just have somebody in there saying, you know, well, what are we doing about this? We have this infrastructure, that infrastructure, but what about our our hunger or food infrastructure? Um, I think that's another one, and. 
I think just making continuing that education because the more I keep going back to that, you don't want to think this is real. You know, I mean, you want to think, well, we're not dealing with that. We need we have these economic. We got to bring this factory, and that's all important too. But but if your people aren't eating then, you know, that's another problem. And so making sure that that they stay educated and engaged, and that's having the meetings and having, you know, part of the thing of having a formal group is it makes you get together because you get so busy that it's not that, you know, you don't want it, but you're just doing 100 things. So when you have a formal structure, then you have to prepare for the meeting, you have to attend the meeting, and you have to come away from the meeting with some points, and it just, it forces you to get together and talk about it. And then, so I just think that's important to not let that formal structure fall away. Well, let's look at the other side then for the folks who are not represented by lobbyists who are advocating, um, the folks that are listening who are lived experience, what can they do in, you know, holding some accountability toward their representatives to further that message what would you recommend there you know it's engagement and it's engagement at that first level so you know the house of delegates is the the part of the government that is most responsive to the people in the sense that you represent i mean each delegate will represent about 17,500 people they're up for election every two years and so you know getting with them um it's they're pretty accessible and they live in the community you know and so being able to talk to them about this is what's important to me this policy there's you know emails there's telephone but i think sometimes that personal meeting when you sit down face to face with somebody and they you know if, if it's important enough for you to come and sit down and talk about then then it's something to listen to also getting the people um the community leaders you know not just you all uh with the banks but but uh, some of those uh, social groups, churches, you know, that, that are running those feeding programs that you support, um, they're pretty, they're more powerful than they think. I mean, some of these, these pantries are, are in institutions that are very large and very, um, I'll say powerful, but influential. Mm -hmm. And so when those groups come and say, Hey, and I, I run this pantry at this place and, you know, our organization has, you know, 2000 members, and that, that's a lot of people in a, in a house district. Um, so I think that's important to, to not underestimate the power of, of the group dynamic and to reach out and, and continue that dialogue. So policy. Last year, we started talking about food as a right yeah. and being a constitutional right in the state of West Virginia. And we had some examples of states that have written that in. That was new and a new way of thinking for this state in particular. What are your thoughts about the forward movement of that concept? That was really interesting to me. Dr. Josh um, Lonez up at uh, WVU Food Justice Lab brought that idea and some of the other states that have done it. And it was uh, it was interesting that the two major groups, if you want to you know, use groups, kind of on the left and on the right, both came behind that, which I thought was interesting, that some of the um, further right groups supported that. So I, just thought, I think part of it, there was also discussion there about the right to farm. I don't know if that 
but it was an interesting thing for me. He also brought the um, the the bill about having a state level off hunger officer or food mm-hmm. security office that oversees state policy, which really is probably the one thing. If if you could pick one thing that would make the biggest difference, that would be it. Um, so we knew that wasn't going to go the first year, but we wanted to get the dialogue that just like a seat at the table and let's have a group. This is important enough to have you know a, a cabinet level uh, office dedicated to mm-hmm. making sure that we're we're doing food policy for the, the in the best way for for West Virginia and that was that was Josh's idea terrific stuff and when we look statistically where West Virginia is in terms of health um, number one in diabetes uh, chronic heart disease um, obesity mm. all of the things that contribute to very um, challenging lifestyles and quality of life. Um, I read a statistic that 48% of West Virginia adults feel that they do not have good health. So, you know, we started addressing that with our medically indicated food boxes. I think if the legislature and, you know, building off of your work would really think about the holistic improvement of people's lives through food, which is one of the less expensive interventions, right? Um, I, I would hope that whoever is in the governor's mansion and whoever is in the legislature would really be able to look at that and go, our people, our brothers and sisters deserve better. And your thoughts on that, you know? Healthcare, the, the healthcare industry, and I, and I saw it in your, we, we took that tour one day and you had the boxes and we talked about the, the program. And I believe at that time it was expanding or looking at going yeah. into another county. And then the data, which I think is always good, of, of that it works. I mean, they were tracking things and readmission rates are down. Um, you know, it, it, this is a program that, that, changes lives for the better so not only is it the best for the quality of life for the quantity of life but it, it really is an economic there's a reason i mean the hospitals are wonderful and they, they do good work but they're also doing this because it it it, it is a good business thing to keep people out <laughs> yeah. you know from readmissions and costs and all that so so it's a, i think it's a win-win situation when we can help put people together with uh the types of diets that that are uh medically indicated and so i was so thrilled with what you were doing there. I think it's a great, it's a great idea. Well, I think both food banks have really initiated a lot to that effort. And we'll look to see what the future holds. But what I do know, Chad Lovejoy, (laughs) I feel like the guy on Crossfire, Chad Lovejoy, yes or no. Um, You have made an impact on, on the state. And I know that we can count on that impact to continue, no matter where you are. But we're most glad that you're here in our community. And I really appreciate your being here as uh, you talk about your plate and that story of um, hunger relief and assisting those West Virginians in need. So thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you. And you've, you've always been such a good friend. Uh, you've been an inspiration in the work that, that you and all of your, your agencies and your staff do. It's uh, people that just have no idea. I had no idea. And you know, I live here. <laughs> and so thank you for everything you do and for being such a great partner. Okay. Well, that's it for today with uh, Chad Lovejoy. And 
Um, remember, the donation of time, talent, and treasure is always welcome at your local pantry or at the food bank, Facing Hunger Food Bank. Together we are Facing Hunger, www.facinghunger.org or 304-523-6029. Call us and get involved. Call your legislators and get involved. And we'll look to see you again real soon. Take care and be well all. Now don't forget, head over to facinghunger.org to find out how you can become part of helping tens of thousands of people in our region have access to food. And remember, every plate has a story. Thank you.